0: All right. Today we're going to look at Jesus, uh, which I know is a shock to everybody. We're just going to try to look at his character as he has an encounter in Scripture, which I know also is something you weren't expecting today when you came to church. Everybody, all right? Thank you. Thanks. Russ? Thanks. All right, here we go. This Today's going to be a little bit different, though, in that uh, it's not every time that we look at Jesus' encounters with people in Scripture or that we look at the character of Christ and we get warm, fuzzy feelings about it. Uh, this is one of those times. We're going to look today at the fact that Jesus is humble and I got to tell you, as as a um, as a believer for however many years since seventy eight, so what's that? Almost forty years, and a minister of almost thirty eight years because I got right into it after that. Uh, this has been the hardest thing for me to see in Jesus because I don't like humility. There's nothing in my flesh in my default nature, in my old way of, my old flesh patterns and habits of doing things that happens in connection with humility. Humility is, is so foreign to us. It's no surprise that this was the reason why Satan fell from heaven, why he was cast out of heaven was because of his pride, because he wanted to be equal to God, and that that sin is the sin that he continues to work into us and and try to motivate us to walk in the sin of pride. It's so deep in all of us and it's it's a shame. But like I, I can remember my high school years. I remember you know how proud I was in high school. You know, I was a I was a small guy growing up and then when I finally got big, uh, you know, I played football as a ninth grader and they they called us the dummy squad and it's because you'd be you got to be a dummy to stand in front of these huge monsters. You know, on the on the varsity team that just plowed over you. For some reason, I stayed with that. It's crazy, I know, but I did. That's why I got some brain damage. But you know, I got, once I gained some weight and you started bulking up a little bit, as you do when you start, you know, when you just naturally grow. So I started getting bigger and stronger, and then I earned a position. And then all of a sudden, I went from being this guy who nobody liked and nobody wanted to have anything to do with it, because now I'm an all-district tied in and so everybody's, you know, I, I got this, a whole different view in the eyes of people. That messed me up. And from that point on, you know, I always tried to be, I was always concerned about the way that I look in the eyes of people. You know, how does my body look? How, how, how do people see me? Do they see me as strong, and they see me as, you know, as, as a leader, or do they see me as, uh, you know, as somebody they want to be with, or you know, am I standing out in the crowd, standing above the crowd? Am I the guy that everybody wants to be around, or I'm at least with the group of people that everybody wants to be around? It messed me up, and I was so into that. And you would think that when I got saved, you know, when, when I gave my life to Christ and, and, and received redemption and my heart was transformed, that, that automatically that would be the thing that would go out, and this has been the thing that has held on. Man, it's been the thing that has held on. And today we're going to look at Jesus. And it's not just going to convict those of you who are not believers. It's going to convict those of us who are believers. And, and it's going to make you want to turn your head away from Christ instead of repenting of the sin and turning your head to Christ. And we're going to see an example of that in the scripture today of those who knew God, we're chosen as God's not only as God's people, but as God's leaders, spiritual leaders of God's people, and how they respond when they see the humility of Christ and the evidence of of their pride that that shows up in this story today. When I got got saved, and I, I wanted to be the best in the church. When I got saved, I wanted to be the the best Christian, you know, by by all the standards of the people that are around me. I wanted to do all the religious stuff so that people would say, wow, he is a really good Christian. So I just transferred it from football and athletics into the religious realm. Have you done that? I climbed that ladder and I became a youth minister. So I was going to be the best youth minister. I was going to have the most uh, teenagers coming to the pizza parties and and then I was going to have the most of them showing up in the back of the church and sitting in a group, you know, so everybody would say, wow, he's a great youth minister. I was going to get the numbers, and I was going to get the awards and have the state send me certificates that said, wow, you, you had the most in youth baptisms. Congratulations. I, I thrived on all that stuff. And I was going to be the best, and when I went to seminary, I wanted to, to rise up and become this, this, uh, this guy that everybody looked at in ministry and said, I want to be like him. I, it wasn't enough for me to, to, to sit back. I wanted to be somebody. And, I, and listen, you can make that happen in the religious world that we live in. You, if, you, if you have any kind of uh, personality, if you've got a little bit of education and maybe some skill, At least to get the kind of results that people want to see in the church today. You can rise up in the church and be the most proud, arrogant, successful, by man's standards leader there is out there. And and I worked at it, worked at it until I got a position at the Southern Baptist Convention as a national youth consultant. I went as, thank you, I went as high as I could go in, in in my world of youth discipleship. National Consultant. I was so full of pride. And, and the things that God had to do to rip that pride out of me, it, it all started when I finally started looking at Jesus. Went through experiencing God, and God got me focused on the person of Christ and, and that it didn't matter who I was in the religious realm. And I started finding those things that I was holding on to to be the, the very things that were stealing away the joy that God had for me. And the joy that awaited my obedience and my, my seeing him for who he was and experiencing him in life and coming to know him by experience like we've been looking at in the scriptures and the gospels. Those things radically changed me in such a way that I would no more go to those places where I was. If anybody asked me, I wouldn't go. Because I, I know what it was like to be there and I know what the, what the people in the group are sitting around to looking for. Not that you can't be on a platform in front of thousands of people and have, and have humility and let people see the humility of Christ. I just don't know that I could ever go back there without being sucked back into that life. There are places and groups of people I don't hang around with anymore because I know what's going on. I listen to the discussions going on in the circles. And I, I'm a, I don't want that sin to, to find any, to put, I don't want any of that seed to get back into, into my life. I know now because I've seen the humility of Christ I'm challenged by that. I'm still challenged by This week as I looked at this story, I found myself in the story. I'm challenged by that. But it's so beautiful that Christ is humble. This is such a great characteristic for us to look at if you can just look at the benefits for us. (laughs) If we can just look at Christ and see his humility and realize that his humility means he doesn't care who you are. He comes to you. His humility means that if you're the worst of the worst, if you're Glenn Watley, pipsqueak freshman dummy squad, Glenn Watley, that he comes to you and he loves you and you're, you're the apple of his eye and he dances over you and sings over you and he loves you and wants you and he has everything for you and he adopts you as his, as his child and takes you into his kingdom. That if you're the worst of the worst, he comes to you. That's good news. You know, humility means I don't care what the people of importance and significance think. Humility means I'm not trying to be in the right places at the right time. Humility means I, I, can, I can give myself away to anybody. Humility means I, you, you don't have to have a certain status to relate to me. Humility means that I accept you. So I hope we can see the beauty of this today, even though we're going to see ourselves in the story because this is Jesus' encounter with some Pharisees who tried to make something of themselves by inviting him to a feast. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter fourteen, verses one through a lot of verses today. So stay plugged in, if you will. Say I will. All right, keep your minds plugged in. Let's go. Let's go to work today and look at the humility of Christ. Luke fourteen, verses one through twenty-four. One Sabbath, and when we hear the word Sabbath, what, what word comes to mind? Uh-oh. For me, I mean, I don't know what comes to mind for you, but one Sabbath, okay, we're telling the story of Jesus' encounters with anybody, and it's the Sabbath, we know something's coming, right? Here it comes. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They should know the answer to this question by now, right? But they remained silent. Of course. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Of course. When he noticed how the guests were picking places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have Been invited. If if so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard, him, uh, heard this, with him heard this, He said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full, I tell you. Not one of those men were invited. who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's look at the pride that's shown in this story. First of all, these Pharisees, as always, took pride in their righteousness. They took pride in their, in their righteousness, that, that they were better than Christ, that they, that they would never do anything on the Sabbath. They would never do, break a Sabbath law or rule that was made by the Pharisees. These rules that they made, they were good at it. And they had pride in the fact that they knew how to do their religion and they did it well. And if you showed up any given day, you, that you could find a Pharisee acting according to the religion of their day. So Jesus confronts them after he heals this man and he says in verses 5 and 6, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. So Jesus addresses that. He, he uses his example of humility uh, and, he, and he addresses the question that was on their minds or the, the righteousness, that, pride, that, righteous, that, that righteousness that comes from pride that says, I'm better than everybody because I keep the rules. I look down on and judge people because I'm, I'm a good church person. And Jesus says, how many of you missed the Sabbath or broke the Sabbath rule for this or that? Isn't it funny how a lot of us, what we do once we start getting a little religious pride and we start really feel like we're connecting and, and finding our position and maybe a, and we're gaining some status within the church and people are looking at us like we're, we're pretty spiritual people that all of a sudden we start looking down on everybody else. It's natural. That's what pride does. Pride rises up in the face of humility. I'm gonna be somebody. For me, you know, I wasn't satisfied with just being a youth minister in a local church. I had to rise up because there were people above me in the meetings. When I go to a meeting to hear someone speak, I you know, that person was speaking and I was sitting and listening. I didn't like that. I wanted to be the guy speaking. I still struggle with that kind of thing. When somebody tells me, oh, I, I've told you all this before, when someone says, hey, man, I heard a great podcast this week. Well, did, was it mine? You know, did you? There's something inside of us that rises up and says, man, we have to, we have to be better than somebody else. And we break it. We break the Sabbath. Uh, we break the rules, the rules that we make. The, 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 you know, I will preach us. I, it's so funny. When we started the gathering place, I went back and listened to some sermons prior to my big pride-killing experience at at, uh, a a former church. Four years of God ripping pride out of my life. But I went back and listened to some sermons that we had at our first church called Harvest. And and I was so excited to be able to, you know, I found the videos, you know, and it was VHS's, yes, 20 years ago. So I was going to put the VHS in and listen to some of my sermons. And when I looked at myself after having this pride-ripping experience that God brought me through, I listened to myself and I had to turn it off. I was so disgusted at the pride that was in me at the time. Now I'm sure that I'll look back, listen to this sermon at some point and say, I'm so disgusted still at the pride that's in me. I want the pride out, but it's it's, it's crazy how I preached. I just preached a, a series on pride. I did a 40 day attack on pride. Y'all remember that, Jeff? Man, I did a 40 day attack on pride. That was I. I've, I had 40 devotionals that I wrote just prior to this experience on pride, and yeah, I was so much pride in my sermon on pride. <laughs> I mean, I saw it in me. I, I felt sickened by it. Don't, don't think that, that if, you, if you're somebody in, in religious circles, don't think that you're not as full of sin as every person you're, you're judging. Every person that's around you, God warns us about that. Not being careful about judging somebody else because the same things that we're judging them for, we're guilty of. There is no place for judgment in the kingdom of God. But, but listen, this sermon is not about us getting right. This sermon is about the fact that Jesus... Is not like that. These guys were challenged by it, but here's what's going to happen. When you see the humility of Christ, when you see him humbling himself, and you see him walking in humility, the God of the universe stepping down to touch a person who nobody would touch, to pay attention to somebody that no one would pay attention to, when you see that happen, you start seeing and experiencing God leading you to go and be a part of things that give you no status, but instead is going to give somebody who has no status love and acceptance when you start seeing him doing that then then pride's going to rise up against that and one of the ways that it rises up and challenges is that it 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 wants to say what i'm doing is right even though jesus would be doing something different we look at it and say what i'm doing is good and it's right and we explain it away and say well jesus would have done this if he was in this situation and we, 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 just, we compromise and we come to this place of, of justifying our pride. And here's the problem with that. That's not repentance. Remember we talked about repentance is turning from something. It's an about face. And if, I, if what I'm looking at is my sin, that's what I'm turning from. And the sin is pride. And, and I turn and see Jesus in his humility. If, I, if my righteousness rises up and says, I'm doing okay what I'm doing is I'm turning away from Jesus. I'm turning back to my pride. That's not a complete repentance. We've got to turn from pride and turn to Jesus. So if you're finding your identity in how good you are spiritually and your righteousness, then I want to suggest to you today that Jesus never did that. And the example in this story is, is Jesus not taking pride in his righteousness. Let's turn from that. Let's turn to him. They also took pride in their rating among the guests, right? Jesus is reading, he tells the parable in response to that of the humiliation of being asked to take a lesser seat, of finding a a better seat and, and being asked to, you know, this is reserved for somebody. Could you come and sit in another section? How embarrassing that was for them. Jesus uses that parable, and he says in verse 11 of that parable, this is the point of his parable. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. They were taking pride in their rating among the guests. You know, how, 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 do, how do I rate among all the people here? I've already told you my sin there. Uh, of trying to be the best of some, something or be included in the elite groups of people that were meeting, you know that I would be the one at the head table instead of one of the ones sitting in the congregation. And Jesus is, is challenging that with these Pharisees because he, you know, he just did something. We'll talk about it as we close, but Jesus just revealed that he didn't care about where he was in, in his, where he was, ra- how he was rated among all the guests how he compared to all the guests in the the eyes of the the, uh, Pharisee who was putting on this feast. And we get so worried about how we're rated, our position, where do we stand, how do people look at us. And then the third thing is they took pride in their relationships with the social elite. So they took pride in their righteousness, took pride in their rating, took pride In their relationships, you notice that all those start with "R." You're welcome. I had to make that happen. They took pride in their relationships with the social elite. Jesus tells the parable of having to basically buy the approval of the elite by inviting the best people to the banquet, and and so you're buying their their love, you're buying their uh, the, the position, you're buying their friendship. Uh, these guests were inviting those people in town who would make them look good. And then they were paying very careful attention to the ones that, that uh, they invited that were um, a part of the social elite. So that they could have their status. And we do the same thing. Listen, this church can be that. I mean, I know that probably the social elite in this town don't look at us and say, wow, that's the spiritual elite. But you're here for a reason. You choose to be with these people for a reason. And, and what we tend to do is we take pride in the people that we're around. And we take pride in, you know, once you, once you really find yourself connected to this body and you, you find your identity here, that's a good thing. But if you find your identity in these people, it's a bad thing. If we start bragging about the fact that we're a part of the gathering place and, and, we, and, and, this, and it's in a way of looking down at everybody else. Who's not a part of the gathering place, like we're something special, we're missing the point. Jesus here gives a clear illustration of the fact that that's not right. And what ultimately will happen is we're going to end up being hurt by trying to cater to the right kind of people. Who are we not going to let in the door? Who are we going to treat differently when they come in the door? What did you do with your time while you were here today so far? How have you spent your time? Who have you been around? Again, this is not about us feeling guilty or trying to act better. The question is when we see the humility of Christ who reaches out to everybody, who constantly in, the crowd is in a crowd of people, and in this case a crowd of Pharisees, is looking at the lowest person, and the, and the Pharisees are looking at all the other Pharisees and the social elite that they invited to come to their house so they could make some points, so they would be invited to their house so that their status could increase, It all just feeds pride, and we've got to turn away from pride, ultimately, and turn to Christ. And let's look at him. Let's get our eyes on the humble Christ, the one who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Equality with God. The one who who looked around heaven and said, there's something I want to do that I would be willing to leave heaven for. There's something that I'd be willing to do, that I want to do, that's in my heart to do, that I want—I would be willing to sacrifice my godness for. And I'm going to step out of humanity and, and be born not only as a human but as a servant and spend his life serving man to the point of dying on a cross. Let's look at him. Let's keep our eyes on him and see if we can still feel good about our pride. We're not going to. Ultimately... We're going to be blessed and excited if we will let the pride die and embrace the humility of Christ. Let's look at him, at his story. Listen, Jesus, in this story, didn't care about righteousness as it was defined by the religion of the day. He didn't care about what the Pharisees called righteousness. We need to to see that and love that. The humility of Christ, this is humility. Humility. It's boldness, too. Remember how those, those two, it's hard to, to separate those two because he was bold because he knew the will of the Father better than the Pharisees did. He was teaching the Pharisees. He taught as one having authority even though he had never been taught by the Pharisees. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and breaks their, their rules. That's his humility. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care about righteousness, his righteousness as defined by the religion of the day. He didn't care about his raiding with the people at the feast. Why did he even see this man with dropsy? First of all, a man with dropsy would not have been invited to the feast of a Pharisee, must have been a family member who was included, but Jesus obviously is sitting in the cheap seats <laughs> and he finds this guy. He's not vying for a position matter of fact it's probably as he heals this man in, from the cheap seats he starts noticing a you know uh the crowd gathering a little crowd gathering and the the those that were considering their rating walking in and seeing that hey there's a crowd gathered over here and there's some great seats up front and so while the crowds gathered they're they're walking by because it says that jesus saw them going to the, these uh, these seats that would give them status but Jesus sees the man because he's he's with him he's not worried about being raided he's not worried about what the what the spiritual elite think about his position and also obviously Jesus doesn't care about relationships with the elite in town it it, it must have registered that Jesus was no longer uh Going to be a part of their of their spiritual elite, surely it must have registered with them that he was going to be different because he walks into their feast he's invited to the feast on the sabbath and he and he comes in and he uh, he doesn't spend time with the Pharisee that invited him matter of fact, he does something that would offend the Pharisee that invited him. He goes right to this man, of course he was invited for that reason everybody gets that right he wasn't invited because they, they loved him because they thought he would give them position. He was invited because they wanted to watch him. The Bible says they watched him, knowing that he was going go to go to the cheap seats, knowing that they, he was going to go to this man who had dropsy and heal him of his problem, know, knowing that, they wouldn't be able to, that he wouldn't be able to leave this man by himself. And so Jesus doesn't care about relationships with the elite in town. Now, he finishes this little experience, right? Jesus walks in, and, and he does everything opposite of what they expected. He walks in humility. They see it. They, they rebel against it. He, some of them, They don't even have to speak about it. He sees the, their rebellion, and he sees their position, and he knows why they invited him here. And so he speaks to the struggle that they're having with, this, with his uh, humility. And I hope again for us as we see these things we won't just hold on to them. We won't just hold on to relationships that and our concern about being the right kind and being with the right kind of people and having a name for ourselves and turn away from Christ instead of looking at his humility and holding on to that. But It must have registered also that Jesus was no longer going to talk about uh, simple humility that he was going to meddle into some things and he's communicating. I think it became clear at this point that he's communicating something spiritual, something that's deeper than that, because the question's asked in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't sound like a question, but it's a question. He wants to know the deeper meaning. And so he's just, something in this man realizes that Jesus is trying to tell us that we're not going to make it into the kingdom. He's been saying it over and over again, and here he is again. We've invited him to the house, and he's he's trying to tell us something, and we're not sure exactly what it is. They were sure, but I think that's what went down. So Jesus makes the message clear that he's talking about pride, taking away the opportunity for them to eat in the feast uh, at the kingdom of God. He's showing them that it's your pride that's ultimately going to steal this opportunity away from you. He tells the parable, verse 16. Let's just walk through it and we'll see these same three things. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. Look at the excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. And I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I've just bought a field. i got work to do. right? The comparison here is that, that the righteousness or the works that, that caused the Pharisees to turn away from the humility of Christ, that, they, that he is pointing it out in this story. He's saying, this man has work to do, so he's going to go and do his work. And he refuses to be humble about it. And to, and to come to the banquet. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. I got status, I got position. I got, this is this, I got just bought oxen, five oxen. You know how rare that would be? Here's a wealthy man buying five oxen. And I got to go try them out. It's oxen tryout day. I'm surprised you didn't know that. So I'm going to try out my oxen. He's bragging about his possessions and his status in community. I don't have time for banquets. I've got to go. Try out my oxen. And then the third one says, I just got married, so I can't come. Relationships. The pride that he has in a relationship. You know, Jesus is making a point here. And marriage is a great picture because we are married literally to our pride. We need to divorce our pride and be married to, to the bridegroom. And they're just not getting it. And so the servant comes back and reports to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly to the streets and out of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. (laughs) So this is blowing their mind now, right? Here's his humility saying, all right, you just go get all these people that are not at this feast and invite them in. And he's telling, he's answering the question about the kingdom of God and what it's going to be like. Go get the humble. And, and, And you, this is the master of the house who, did not invite the right guests, who did not care where the people were sitting. This is the one that did it in order to allow people to come be blessed at his feast. And those who thought they were righteous didn't come. And so he says, go and buy to everybody. And the servant says, what you order has been done, but there's still room. And then Jesus, and then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those men who were invited we get a t- taste of my banquet. You want, you want a clear message? Here's the clear message. It's your pride that's going to keep you from tasting anything in the feast of the kingdom of God. It's your pride. You're missing the point. You think you have to be somebody. You really need to get to the point of being nobody. You need to die with Christ. As, as the scripture talked about this morning, 2 Corinthians. Thanks for that, Kobe. Great illustration. We need to be dead with Christ. We need to be nobodies. We need to find ourselves connected to His humility, not rebelling against it because of all the things that rise up naturally in our flesh, our old nature that's now been crucified with Christ. Let's not try to resuscitate our old nature. It's dead. You can't resuscitate it. So give up on that. Turn to Christ and His humility and embrace that. First of all, embrace it for yourself. Realize that Christ loves you. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your on your righteousness, your self-righteousness, how good you can be. Realize that Christ loves you and he comes to you. Uh, If you're the man in the corner, you're the the girl in the cheap seats, he comes to you and he says, you're the one I want. He says it in a room full of religious people who are doing all the right things, the right things that are keeping them away from him. In the church today, I'm confident of this because I was stuck in it. There are hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are doing right things and missing Jesus. And they're proud, they're excited, and they're growing, and those movements grow. I don't know why it is we think that cult groups today uh, that grow all over the world are growing at, at massive paces, outgrowing Christianity this, at this point, have nothing to do with Christ, and they're expanding and growing. I don't know how we think that they can grow, and we think that, that within the church... The religions of our day and the buildings that we call churches, we're not also, that we can't be full of people who are pursuing something for themselves instead of the humble Christ. Look, I'm I'm guilty, guilty. I don't have to look far to find a person who did that and and considered myself successful and had people watching me to say, wow, I want to be like him. Fill a church full of those people and tell them how to be like me. And then you've got these same Pharisees who are missing the humble Christ, missing Jesus, missing people on the streets that Christ would minister to, missing the the, the lonely in the world, the, the dying in the world, those people that nobody loves and pays any attention to. We're missing those people because we're all about ourselves. Let's look at the humble Christ. Let's embrace his, his uh, example for us: let's die today. let's not try to be somebody. Let's turn completely to humility and ask God, what can we do? Good book. Good book. Andrew Murray: Humility. Read it. Good book: End of Me." Kyle. Eidelman. Good book. Anonymous by I mean, embracing obscurity by anonymous. We need that. We need to not only look at the humility of Christ, we need to embrace it. we are nobodies, and it's good. In this story, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the Pharisees, or do you want to be the guy with dropsy? Don't answer that out loud. I, I hope I know. If anybody says Pharisee, everybody's going to go, what? But we're not acting like it. Let's embrace the fact that Jesus is looking in this congregation today. He's looking around right now. This is his character. It's who he is. It's what makes him loving. It's what makes me love him. It's what makes me passionate about him to the point of forgetting about all other disciples and all Pharisees that might be watching to pour out the best of my life on him. Here's what makes me do that is that he's humble. The God of the universe who, who created the world that we're in became flesh that's humility, and I, I'm thankful for that because I get to encounter him every day. I can't I, I couldn't get uh, some famous movie star or some famous politician to to call me back if I if I if I tried a million times to call him up. To to speak to me, to say something to me, who am I? Nobody. And Jesus longs for me to come to him every day. He he says, Come into my presence. Literally, come be with me. Come, embrace, come abide in me. Let's do life together. I want to be right by you, with you, in you. I want to actually, I want to take over your body and just live my life through you. And you talk about get to know me. Just let me have, your, let me have that body. I'll show you. That's the humble Christ, right, coming to me. All my failures and all my pride and all my mess-ups. Listen, today, I'm committing to turn completely, to look at the humility of Christ, to embrace that, to everything that in my flesh that wants to challenge that. I'm not turning back to that. I'm going to continue to look at the humility of Christ because it's beautiful. It's surprisingly beautiful. And it's crazy that as I look at the humility of Christ, I feel myself being Exalted. I feel people loving me more. I feel people wanting to be around me more as I try to be more like that. Jesus said it. You exalt yourself. You're going to be humiliated. But if you humble yourself, embrace him, be like him, ask him to walk that out through your body. Listen to him. Obey Obey him when he says to take a step that's going to give you, that's going to humiliate you in front of, all the people that are watching you. It might be your parents tell you, you're supposed to live a certain way. Don't you let people take advantage of you. Take, let people take advantage of you when God says it. Just walk it out. Quit trying to be somebody. Let all that stuff go. Let's embrace the humility of Christ. Let's be excited today about who he is. The fact that he loves us. And let's love others the way that he loves. All right. Now, as we bow and think about our sermon this morning, I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to examine yourself. Examine yourself and ask yourself the questions today that these Pharisees had to face. Are you counting on your own righteousness to make you look good? Are you trying to gain impre- good impressions from people by being good? Face Jesus, see his humility. Sit in the cheap seats. Don't try to get a rating in this church or any other church. Don't, try to wor- don't worry about what people think about you. Instead. And, and, and people, when people challenge you and say they're better than you, don't return that judgment with judgment. Don't try to don't let the Satan use that to cause you to rise up and be somebody so that they will, will see you differently. Don't defend yourself. You don't have to. Just love those people that nobody else is loving. Embrace those people. What's sweet about this story is that Jesus knew the Pharisees were going to crucify him and yet he still came to eat with them, which was a way of saying I accept you. I offer you what I offer everybody else. Even though you're going to kill me, even though you don't like me, even though you're trying to trap me, I'm coming to eat with you. Let's be that, those people. Here's a challenge that Jesus gave a crowd of listeners in Luke chapter 6. Listen to it. It's not going to be on the board, so you just pray. Close your eyes and listen to this. Take your challenges from here. You want to look at humility? Jesus gives the perfect example of humility. Here it is. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting it to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting get anything back then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful Jesus we see your example in this story of all of what you challenge us to do in Luke's gospel we see your perfect example of humility We're challenged by it. Our flesh rises up against it. We don't want that in our flesh. But Father, Jesus, you said that you would overcome the world. And that includes the world that's in us. It's in the members of our body, waging war against our minds. So we ask for victory today. that You would challenge us and then complete the sanctification of our bodies by helping us to walk in humility.